Let's uh, stand together at this time as we uh, look in Proverbs chapter 4 this morning, a message I call Grace and Glory. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 7, wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding, exalt her and she will promote you. She will bring you honor when you embrace her. She will place on your head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory. She will deliver to you grace and glory. And may God bless the reading of this word today is my prayer. You may be seated. We are in the midst of a series in the book of Proverbs. Uh, and in this portion of it, we are considering what uh, God's wisdom has to say about the subject of human happiness. This began back in verse 13 of chapter 3, where the Bible says, Happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. Repeated in verse 18, she is a tree of life that is wisdom to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who retain her. Uh, You'll remember that God is speaking this wisdom through the human Uh, personality and voice, if you will, of Solomon. Solomon. We remember him and how he famously had an encounter with God as a very young man or young person and asked for wisdom and God gave him that request, was pleased with it and gave it to him. But in our text today, Solomon is also quoting from the words of his father. Something his dad told him. Imagine if we took the time today. Most all of us could probably say something that uh, our dads used to say a lot. Uh, We could quote our fathers. uh, Even though we might be looking back over the pages of time, we could remember something that dad used to say and used to say a lot. Well, this must have been one of those things. Because Solomon is uh, not a little boy, and his father David has been gone for a long time by the time he's writing this passage of Scripture. So he's looking back quite a ways. And we have to conclude then that his words are words that he heard from his father, something his dad would say to him again and again and again. And we know this from verse 1. Hear, my children, the instruction of a father, and give attention to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine. Do not forsake my law. When I was my father's son, tender and the only one in the sight of my mother. I had to grin at that one. How many of you this morning know that you were your mama's favorite? Yeah. uh I was the only one in the sight of my mother. Uh, He also taught me and said to me. And the remainder of the verses that we'll consider out of Proverbs chapter 4 are actually the words of Solomon's father, a man we know well. That was none other than King David. We know his mother well. She was Bathsheba, David and Bathsheba. And in spite of this passage that tells us that uh, Uh, where Solomon said, I was the only one of my mother in the sight of my mother. Uh, We know that according to 1 Chronicles 3 and 5, that David and Bathsheba actually had at least four sons together. No mention is made in Scripture of any daughters, and we aren't sure whether one of these boys might have been the child who died under God's judgment because of the way their relationship began with the sin of adultery, 
with the murder of Bathsheba's first husband, Uriah, uh, to try to cover up the fact that he had committed adultery with her and that the child that she was pregnant with was not his. And as a result of that terrible time of sin, uh, then the Bible tells us that their child uh, died. Uh, we also know that David was confronted for this sin by the prophet Nathan. And it perhaps tells us something about the heart of David when we learn that he named one of his sons by Bathsheba, Nathan. Isn't that interesting? Named him after the prophet of God who had the courage to look him in the face, king of Israel, and say, you're the man. David repented, and in the midst of his chastening, he cried out to God for forgiveness. And if you want to read uh, his prayer for forgiveness, uh, check out Psalm 51. And God did forgive him, uh, although the consequences of what he did would be something that he lived out literally. David, I'm talking about, literally lived out for the rest of his life. Now, it's often said that experience is the best teacher. I'm not sure about that. But I would almost certainly say to you this morning that experience is the harshest teacher. In fact, that is so true to us that we add another parable to that when we say, well, I learned that the hard way. What does that mean? It means you learned it by experience. That's what it means. Experience is a teacher, and she is certainly a very hard teacher to learn from. But in spite of that, learning things by experience has a powerful appeal to us as human beings. And we know that because you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden when our problem of sin began, and when Satan approached Eve, the appeal that he made to her was based on her own experience. Did God really say this is bad for you? Well, God's just holding out for you. He's holding, holding out on you. He knows if you eat of that tree, then you're going to know good and evil. You'll be like him. What was she, he saying to her? You need to try this for yourself. How do you know that it's bad? How do you know that it's wrong? How do you know that it's going to kill you until you try it? Try it for yourself. That is a very powerful appeal to humanity. And generation after generation after generation after generation has faced that same appeal. You won't know until you try it. Try it for yourself. What is that? It is an appeal to experience. Well... David is speaking from his own experience with that in this passage. You see, David loved God and worshipped God. And we know how much he loved God and how much we wor he worshipped God. All you have to do is read his songs, song after song after song. Spoke of his love for God, his worship of God, how he longed for the house of God. 
he experienced his blessings in a very personal way. David had, you see, walked a path of wisdom, a path of obedience. We know that God took him when he was just a boy, tending sheep. And we might expect God at that point, perhaps, to put David in some advanced school. You know, you don't need to be out here tending sheep anymore. Uh, you're going to be the king of Israel, and so we're going to put you in prep school. We're going to send you to Harvard or somewhere. I mean, we're going to send you somewhere where you can get the education that you need. But you know, David didn't get any of that. There was old Samuel, the prophet of God. He didn't have any time to waste, and he knew it. God sent him down there to go down the house of Jesse. You're going to anoint one of his boys. Samuel had the anointing oil with him. He looked at all of Jesse's sons, and he said, Don't you have any more? Well, there's one out there. I didn't even bother to call him. He's just a boy. He's tending sheep. Bring him in. Sure enough, you know the story. David was the one. And He was anointed king of Israel on the spot as a boy. And now he's the king. (laughs) Let's just say they didn't know anything about a peaceful transition of power back in those days. That was, you see, somebody else was the king, and he was a madman. Saul, driven mad because the anointing of God had left him. And he was trying to lead God's people all on his own. And he would hear the exploits of David as David would advance in life as he was following God. And he would be blessed and blessed and blessed. His victory over Goliath is something we still sing songs about today. David loved God. He followed God. God protected him. Preserved him as he walked in his integrity. I couldn't help but think about the time that David and his men were hiding in a cave because Saul was out to kill him. And Saul came in to relieve himself. David said, well, there he is. There's his enemy right before him. I could kill Saul and put an end to this stuff. And instead, he just cut off the hem of his garment. And then he apologized for it. He was shamed and embarrassed because he had reached out his hand toward the anointed of God. He had him in his hand. He could have killed him. And everybody said, why didn't you kill him, David? But David chose a path of integrity over a path of prosperity. He wouldn't go that way. No, this man is God's anointed. I'm going to follow God's leadership and do what God would have me to do. Over and over and over again, David made those choices. Choices based on his love for God. But ultimately he would become king. His reign would be established. His enemies would be vanquished. He stayed at home one time while his men were out fighting. And he left the path of wisdom and obedience. Because of his desire for another man's wife. He left. The wisdom, the knowledge, the understanding. He left his pursuit of God and his passion for God. And let it be replaced instead by passion for a woman. David. 
Now, he would return to that path of wisdom through repentance. He did. But the path, the, the trip that he made into the foolishness of sin was a very costly trip. And so it's no wonder that we see Solomon repeating something. No doubt that he'd heard from his father David over and over and over again. You get wisdom. You get understanding. Wisdom is the principal thing. Wisdom is the most important thing. You get this. Of all things, you get it. Hold on to it. You see, David knew. David knew how vital it was to avoid the pull of sin. And the temptation that would come to experience it for themselves. We might think that uh, we could make a trip like this. It wouldn't cost us much. But you know, true believers in Christ always regret the trip that they take. Away from God's wisdom and into sin. True believers always regret it. Before we go any further uh, with this con uh, concern about the powerful pull then of human experience and the desire to experience things for ourselves, we should also remember that Solomon himself would ultimately give in to this. And he even wrote a book describing what he was doing. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 17 I set my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is grasping for the wind, for in much wisdom is much grief, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Now, as Solomon grew older, his heart was turned away from the wisdom and knowledge he had gained. Whether the influence of his father had led him in that direction, I don't know. After all, he knew full well that his father had turned away from God's wisdom and God's truth. Solomon decided that he was wise enough, smart enough. He knew enough that he could enjoy all the pleasures of madness and folly without experience the consequences. He would try it, but he was going to be smart about it. And he felt like he could be. He'd be wise. He had unlimited resources at his disposal. But instead of the thrills and the pleasure, Solomon found grief and sorrow. So that his efforts in not only to gain in the understanding of God and God's wisdom, but also to know foolishness and to know sinfulness and folly. He found that knowing those things brought him grief and sorrow. What a powerful expression that is. He said it's like grasping for wind. <laughs> I won't make you do something foolish like I just did. Just, what, do, what do you do when you grab a big old handful of air? There's nothing there. And so his journey into not only having God's wisdom, God's truth, which he had had from his childhood up, but then to turn from that and in that wisdom, I'll be smart about it. I'm going to be intelligent about it, but I'm going to experience all that the other side has too. And I found it to be much grief, sorrowful. 
like grasping for wind. But that would be many years ahead. When Solomon was writing the Proverbs, he was writing under the inspiration of God. He was writing as a man who was still in his wisdom. He was still in the truth of God. He was still living that life. And he was able then to pass along what his father had said to him again and again and again, calling to him out of his own experiences. And he in turn passing that truth along to his son, Solomon. Uh, continuing the discussion of human happiness then brings us to this pivotal point. Uh, happiness is, is found in living out God's wisdom and truth. And God put this message in the human spokesman, in the mouthpiece of David and Solomon. Two men who both decided to experience it for themselves. And both of them then lived to tell about it under divine inspiration. And their expressions will all lead us back to the point that happiness is found in knowing and living out God's wisdom and truth. So we'll consider David's powerful appeal to Solomon quoted in this passage under two headings. The powerful plea, of course. He says, let your heart retain my words, keep my commands and live. Get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Can you hear the urgency in David's voice as he pleads with his son? Retain my words. That's his first plea. Any teenager and any parent in this building knows what it's like to tell your kids things that they do not retain. In fact, we have an expression. We say it is going in one ear and what? Yeah, they're not retaining a bit of it. And the fact that they might be looking at you and nodding their head doesn't mean a thing. I mean, that means... Uh, it, you can hear without retaining. I can force a child to look at me while I'm talking to them, but that's no guarantee that there's going to be any retaining of that information. There was also the plea then to keep it. This is a simple expression, do what I'm telling you to do. Now, it's something that they remember what you tell them. <laughs> but it still doesn't mean they're going to do it. And so David will go on. He repeated in the negative, do not forget, he says, do not turn away. And the instructions are significant. Solomon needed to get wisdom and understanding. One translation has this as shrewdness and insight. This is a different word than we find often for wisdom in, in the book of Proverbs. You see, the task that was going to be ahead for Solomon would be the task of leading a great nation. And he was going to need all of his intellectual faculties uh, running at full speed in order to lead that nation. He needed it all. He needed insight. He needed understanding. He needed shrewdness. He needed it all. 
He needed to be quick on his feet and be able to think fast on his feet because that's what it takes to lead a great nation. And even more, that would have to be empowered by the Spirit of God. And the thing is, Solomon was going to get all of those things. David would sum it all by saying, this is your life and you'll live. If you do this, you'll live. (laughs) David well knew what it was like to serve as king and know that there were a lot of people who were out to get him. And he lived his life in constant peril and Solomon would too. And so it was the wisdom of God and the knowledge of God, the truth of God, the empowering then of the Spirit of God that would keep him alive, enable him to face all the adversaries of life and living. Let me tell you something today, folk. It's a dangerous world that we're living in right now. And you too need to be quick on your feet. You need insight. You need knowledge. You need wisdom, understanding, empowered then by the Spirit of God. You're going to have to make a lot of quick decisions. We like to call them snap decisions, but you're going to have to think rapidly, quickly, in a lot of situations. Your life is at stake. Choosing the path of wisdom is critical. If it were just your mom and dad, teenagers, then that might be something. Uh, But this is God's word. When your parents are speaking God's truth to you, which is what David was doing to Solomon. When your parents are speaking God's truth to you, then it isn't just their opinion. Do you understand what I mean? And because it is God's word to us, then we can rightly say, do this and live. Do this and live. That's the plea. Impassioned plea. Born out of David's own experience. Of a time perhaps when he certainly had turned away from God's truth. And followed the paths of sin. And though he had returned to following after God. The consequences were right there. After all Solomon was a part of all of that. This was his family. This was his mom and dad. And in the midst of all that then, David says to him, get wisdom, get understanding. Hold on to God's truth. Don't turn it loose. Don't forget it. And then he gives him these precious promises, and we'll just have to go through these quickly. Verse 6, do not forsake her, and she will preserve you. This is David's word. Love her, that is love, wisdom, God's truth, and she will keep you. Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. Exalt her and she will promote you. She will bring you honor when you embrace her. She will place on your head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory she will deliver to you. Against human experience then... Trying everything for ourselves, God brings the promises of obedience. When we listen to what God says and we determine then to do what God tells us to do. It's interesting to me that there are all kinds of things that we accept with, as true without trying or without trying it ourselves. I think of strychnine, for example. All we have to do is look at that bottle that says deadly poison strychnine. 
Nobody looks at that and says, well, I think I need to try a shot of that for myself and see whether to kill me or not. Hmm. But how many people will try meth just as poison? Fentanyl, just as poison, just as deadly. Alcohol, knowing that those things too are poisonous. Right up front then, it's no wonder the Bible says that the path of wisdom will preserve you. There's all kinds of things out there that are instantly addictive and they'll kill you in a long, slow, agonizing death. I've watched people dying, grasping for breath and begging me to go out and buy them a carton of Marlboro Reds. It really happened. I've seen people dying of alcoholism. Acute alcoholism. Only days to live. And look at me as they did everybody else who came in the room. But knowing that I'm the preacher that just prayed for them. Would you please go buy me a beer? It's just torture. They know I'm dying. He said. Why don't you go buy me a beer? Isn't it odd to see people dying and can't breathe, begging for a cigarette, dying of alcoholism, begging for a drink. The way of wisdom, the way of truth, is that way of promising life to us. It'll preserve us. It'll keep you alive. So not only will it preserve us, it will also keep us. That is, that we keep God's truth, but then God's truth returns the favor and it keeps us. We hold to it and it holds us back. You know, it's possible to love somebody that doesn't love you back, but when you love wisdom, wisdom will love you back. And that's exactly built on the text, which says you love her, <laughs> you love wisdom, and she will keep you. She'll keep you. She'll bring you honor, he says, when you embrace her. Some company we keep may be a bit on the embarrassing side. But then we are honored many times by who we hang out with. In this case, when we have wisdom on our arm. <laughs> we always make a good looking couple. I mean, wisdom will make you look good. <laughs> It's, uh, it, it's just the way it is. She'll bring you honor. And that honor is defined by the words that I use for the title of this message. Grace and glory. Wisdom will put on your heads an ornament of grace. A crown of grace. This comes because God's grace and God's wisdom teaches us how dependent we are on Him. On His power and yes, on His grace. And a person then who experiences God's grace also will get glory. Sadly, it's possible to have glory without grace. They become that person that might look at all of their accomplishments and all their achievements. And say, well, I thank myself. I did it all. It's all me. I don't thank anybody. I don't give glory to anybody. You see, it's possible to have glory without grace. 
But for the believer in Christ, following God's wisdom, yes, God can give us glory. And when he does, what do we do? We give it all back to him and say to God be the glory, great things he's done. Because we know, we know that yes, we work hard. And yes, we might devote ourselves. And yes, uh, we might have been shrewd in our business decisions. We might have made a lot of good choices in life. But at the end, we know who is behind all of those blessings. And we give him all the glory. Isn't it a wonderful thing that God is able to turn us into an ornament of his grace? Now, we'll wrap it up this morning then by saying that the glory in this passage primarily speaks of honor or respect. David was pleading with his son then to listen, to heed, to obey the words of God... And the words of God's wisdom because it would lead him to respect. People would respect him and honor him. Turning away from God's wisdom would lead to regret. When Solomon was walking in his wisdom and speaking God's wisdom, people came from literally all over the world just to talk to him. All the way over into the New Testament, Jesus brings up the queen of the south. That was the queen of Sheba who came across the world to meet with Solomon. And after hearing his wisdom, she went out saying, hey, I didn't know the half of it. Literally, the half had not been told. Uh, Not only did Solomon meet her expectations, he far exceeded them. As far as his wisdom. You see, when Solomon was walking in the wisdom of God, God gave him honor and respect. And people came from everywhere to meet with him and see him. and Talk to him. Because they honored him and respected him so much. But his life didn't end up that way. And so he places before us then the opportunity of following a way that would lead to respect and honor or a way that will lead to regret, inevitable regret, grace and glory or guilt and shame. And you see, part of of what makes us happy then is that knowledge that we are honored and respected. It's not something we claim for ourselves because we're not going to exalt ourselves in pride. It's just something that happens. God can bring grace to your life, and because of that, He can also bring glory to your life. And I guarantee you one thing. You've got kids, not everybody does, but if you've got kids, then you know how valuable it is to hear your kids say, I love my dad, I love my mom, my mom was a good mom, my dad is a good dad, they taught me well. I'd rather hear that than anything Except for one thing, which is, well done, thou good and faithful servant. 
honored and respected. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 6 is recording the lineage of Jesus Christ. And there in the lineage of Christ, it tells us this. David fathered Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Yeah. Was, was the Holy Spirit rubbing his nose in that a little bit? No. I don't think so. If that was going to be done, that would have been done long ago. After all, David had pronounced his own death sentence. When Nathan confronted him and told him the story about the wealthy man who had all those sheep and he stole another man's sheep and he said, you, you bring that man, he'll surely be put to death. He'll restore tenfold. David had pronounced his own death sentence. If God wanted to put him down in that, he would have done it then. So why in Matthew 1 and 6 does it say that David fathered Solomon? Not by Bathsheba, but by the wife of Uriah. Because it's a simple fact. It's a simple fact. Solomon knew it. We know it. All of Israel knew it. It was something, you see, that had been done and it can't be undone. It was done. Can't be undone. It's the kind of things that happen when we turn away from God's wisdom and that walking wisdom and living it out of God's wisdom and instead turn Toward a path of sin. Things happen. And though our God thankfully is a forgiving God. And a merciful God. And yes he is. And God can restore us. And yes he does. And God can bring beauty out of ashes. Yes he promises to do that. One of his greatest promises. Though God promises that he will restore to us. The years that the locusts have eaten. Another great promise. That God gives to those who return to him. Still David fathered Solomon. By the wife of Uriah. Bathsheba is often mentioned. As one of very few women. Who are mentioned in the lineage of Christ. Let's just notice. Her name is not there. David fathered Solomon. By the wife. Of Uriah. It's respect or regret. Respect. Grace and glory or regret. Close out this morning with uh, the words of an old hymn, as I like to do a lot. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take him at his word. Just in simple faith to trust him, just to say, No, thus saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace. To trust him 
more grace and glory. Let's stand together, please.